Hello, and welcome to Derbyshire Wildlife Trust podcast, episode number three, with me, Ian Pringle. The birds that you can hear in the background were recorded in my garden in Belper one day ago, so that was the 27th of April, 2020. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just such an amazing sound, and there's so many birds present at the moment and around. Um, it's incredibly occupying. At the moment, we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, and nobody can go out anywhere, and we're just really enjoying watching the birds in our garden. Uh, so we got up really early, having camped out in the garden, and recorded that in the morning. Um, if you want to, um, you know, pl- get up yourself in the morning and, and go out and just wait for it all to start, it's incredible. Um, but maybe you're not feeling like getting up that early at the moment, and that's fine. So I've recorded quite a long section of um, the dawn chorus here. I won't play it all um, now, but I will play a long section of it at the end of the show. So if you want to listen to that, um, you can listen to as much or as little as you want to um, at the end here. Um, So birds are the subject of the podcast today, and I'm going to be reading to you a a uh, fantastic uh, detailed blog about the future of birds in the dark peak um, by Dr. Alexander Lees. So here you go. Envisioning a brighter future for the birds of the dark peak. Dr. Alexander Lees, Manchester Metropolitan University, writes about a brighter future for the birds of the dark peak. Bird communities are never stable. Most people recognise the ebb and flow of migration, the seasonal dynamism that brings joy to many with the first cuckoo or swallow. Over longer timescales, however, bird populations expand and contract according to local habitat and climatic conditions. 50,000 years ago, the Peak District was home to an eclectic avifauna with no contemporary analogues. A late Pleistocene glacial deposit revealed the bones of species currently absent as breeding birds from the UK, like alpine swifts, demoiselle crane and long-legged buzzard, alongside cold-adapted species like red grouse and ptarmigan and temperate zone species like wood pigeon and grey heron. Stuart and Jacoby, 2015 After the end of the last ice age, this slow, climate-driven reorganisation of flora and fauna was impacted by a greater disruptor. Humans arrived on the scene and started to reshape the Peak District with fire and axe. Deforestation led to the formation of many of the moors and the creation of the first human-modified landscapes. Opportunities for some species, but the death knell for others. Species dependent on heavily forested landscapes, perhaps already restricted to climate refuges like hazel grouse, disappeared around 5,000 years ago with the loss of these forests. Others, like Capercaillie, might have persisted for a few thousand more. As human populations expanded, the dark peak came under great pressure. Space for larger competitors and predators dwindled. Suddenly, landscape-level changes that once played out over millennia happened virtually overnight. Our forebears were not keen to share this landscape with top predators, and along with the wolves, bears and lynx, the days of eagles were numbered. A golden eagle nest from south of the region at Ossums Air Cave, Staffordshire, and dated between Romano-British and Stuart times, contained the bones of black grouse, red fox, badger, and the young of wild boar and roe deer, 
Bramwell et al. 1987. Evidence for the importance of this top predator in suppressing populations of smaller, so-called meso-predators, as well as ungulates. The last redoubt of the species in the Dark Peak was in the upper Derwent Valley, where a nest was found in 1668 containing a black eaglet. The shape of a goshawk and almost the weight of a goose, rough-footed, of feather down to the foot, having a white ring about the tail. Glover, 1831. Persecution rapidly wiped out the species from England, along with other large raptors like goshawks and red kites. Several centuries later, in April 1982, a golden eagle, probably one of the offspring of the now extinct Lake District population, briefly penetrated Derbyshire airspace as it overflew Holm Moss. Frost and Shaw, 2013. Golden eagles are not exclusively birds of wild mountains. We have merely driven them there. They breed happily at sea level in places like southern Sweden. All they need to thrive are sufficient prey and to be left in peace. The deep history of this species in the region is reflected in place names across the Peak District. Evans et al. 2012. And we can hope that the species may yet recolonize lost ground if landowners let the species spread south unmolested. The last two centuries brought unprecedented change. The Dark Peak came to be dominated by three land uses, extensive sheep walks, grouse moors and conifer plantations. Over time, their management has intensified. Increasing stocking densities and pasture improvement have resulted in more impoverished plant communities with knock-on effects up the food chain. Native clough woodland was seen as a barrier to progress and productivity. Only fragments of this once great temperate rainforest now remain. Moorland management for red grouse required the rigorous suppression of predators, such that most raptors were summarily eliminated by the 19th century. Burning impoverished plant communities, accentuated by drainage and pollution fallout from the fires of industry of the neighbouring metropolises, left huge expanses of bare peat and lunar landscapes. Stands of conifers smothered moorlands once serenaded by windchats and redstarts. Hayfields disappeared, and with them yellowhammers, cornbunting and twite. Even on the high moors, wheat ears are now notable by their scarcity. As we reduce ecological complexity, we reduce opportunities for life. This creeping change has gone unnoticed by many. The decline of lapwings and curlew and the loss of redshank is a product of this simplification. The last pairs may be eliminated by predation by carrion crows or foxes, and gamekeepering may help them to persist, but these are emergency room conservation interventions. Communal colony defence by lapwings can't function when there are only sufficient food resources for a single pair. The bright green tableau of Inby land may look inviting, but the rushes and swards of meadow plants have been exterminated from many areas. At that point, local extinction is inevitable. Recent years have brought some hope. More enlightened gamekeeping elsewhere has seen the return of common buzzards, peregrines, goshawks and ravens, although persecution has not been eliminated. Hen harriers are back with a talon hold on the landscape. 
Restoration work to raise water tables on some of the high moors on the county boundary at Dovestone has seen resurgent populations of waders like Dunlin, Curlew and Golden Plover. The landscape remains overwhelmingly binary though, scorched moors meets dark plantation. There are few scrubby-edge hinterlands for windchat or black grouse, the latter lost from the Dark Peak in the 1980s and the whole national park a decade or so later. Wood warblers hang on by a thread. Their loss will render the vestigial clough woodlands a sadder place. It need not be this way. Pockets of sheepwalk still ringing with the calls of snipe and lapwing offer hope. The role of these visionary landowners needs to be acknowledged and their experiences shared. Post-Brexit plans for an entirely new subsidies regime offer promise of a renewed relationship with nature. Landowners may receive funding to rewild marginal land, restore clough woodland and rewet blanket bogs. This needs to be balanced against food security needs and maintaining resilience from an apparently increasing frequency of dangerous summer wildfires. If we can create a more dynamic, heterogeneous landscapes, we can create more space for both lost species and new ones. Increasing mixed woodland cover and wood pasture may facilitate colonization by honey buzzards and woodlarks and help the spread of nightjars. With a bit of help, the calls of lecking black grouse may again echo off stone walls. If we allow the return of wet woodlands at the region's periphery, then lesser spotted woodpeckers and willow tits may be allowed to gain a foothold. The synergy of regenerative agriculture and rewilding through bespoke land sharing and land sparing initiatives offers much hope for wilder landscapes. MacDonald, 2019. Red kites are back and ospreys seem inevitable. Might golden eagles once again grace these skies? Well, I for one certainly hope that they do. And to leave us with a little bit of hope, uh, the last thing I'm going to read to you is the latest sightings from the Drakelow Nature Reserve. Um, if you go on to derbyshirewildlifetrust.org.uk and, and click on blog, you can find all the latest sightings from all the different nature reserves and they'll tell you about the, the birds and mammals and insects and all the different things that have been sighted there. And for a little bit of fun, what I thought I'd do with this is read it in a particular style. And today I'm going to go for a sports news bulletin style of delivery. So here we go. This is the latest sightings from Drakelow Nature Reserve um, by Thomas Coburn. Drakelow Nature Reserve, weekend in 14th of March 2020. Flood ball. The depth was 9 inches on the 14th, having dropped slightly from midweek. Birds. Counts were made on the nesting colonies of cormorants, 67 AONs, grey heron, 27 AONs, and rook, 27 structures, all on the 13th. Duck counts were down, with the tufted duck numbers holding up in the mid-50s. A drake widgeon and a pair of mandarins were noted on the 14th. Gadwall, shoveler and teal were all in single figures. A solitary Egyptian goose on several dates suggests a locally sitting bird. Oyster catchers, a pair, were the only waders during the week. There have been several records of stone chats over the period and the birds seen in the vicinity of the solar farm and field usually perch on tops of teasel plants. 
the chiff-chaffs have already been mentioned, and there was a count of nine singing birds on the 13th, and first sand martins of the year were also logged that date. Departing migrants were some 150 field fares that moved southeast through the area on the 14th. Mammals, one of three rabbits at any one time, seem to be the norm these days, and there are a few records of grey squirrels. There is ample evidence of muntjac and badgers with footprints in all the muddy areas, with the latter animal now using the causeway as a latrine, so watch where you step. Lepidoptera A comma was spotted on the 11th of March and so far is the only butterfly recorded this year, with thanks to AG, KW, RW, JKC, KS, AB and DH. So there you have it, that's the latest sightings from Drakelow on the 14th of March. Um, if you enjoyed that and you want me to read it in a different style, then please do get in touch. Um, at Ian Pringle Voice on Twitter is good, um, or you can also email me, ianpringlevoice at gmail.com. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, once again, if you want to find out more about Derbyshire Wildlife Trust, then please go to our website, derbyshirewildlifetrust.org.uk, where you can sign up to lots and lots of different activities. So just to play us out, here's a little bit more of um, Belper's Dawn Chorus um, that I played at the beginning of this show. So here we go. And um, if you want to find out more about me and any of the other voiceover and audiobook narration work that I've done, please visit my website, www.ianpringlevoiceover.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.